Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a companion podcast for Netflix original true crime stories. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, your host. Each episode, we take a close-up look at true crime documentaries or series, and I talk to the people who made them. We dive deep into the backstories and get answers to questions raised by what we just watched. This week, our guest is Unsolved Mysteries executive producer Robert Wise. Bob's relationship with the show spans the life of the entire series. In fact, he was a cinematographer for Unsolved's pilot episode. We'll go over the show's latest installment, Missing Witness. In 2003, Lena Chapin confesses that her mother murdered her missing stepfather, Gary McCullough. At the time, Gary had been missing for four years. Not long before Lena is summoned to testify in court about his disappearance, she mysteriously vanishes. Was she killed by her mother to keep quiet? Lena's sisters will not stop until they find the truth. It's hard. It's hard not having a mom or my sister Lena. But, you know, I just really want Lena to know that I love her. There's not a time that goes by I don't think about Lena. I miss her so much. If my sister could hear me right now, I'd tell her I'd love her. And just know I will always try to find you, you know? I will never let anybody just forget you. And that's what I'm trying to do with Lena. A note to listeners, this episode contains spoilers, so make sure to watch the entire Unsolved Mysteries episode and then listen on. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, our guest was recorded in his home and not in a studio, and we do appreciate your understanding. Before you hear my discussion with Bob, here's a conversation I had with my real-life partner in crime, my husband, Kevin Flynn. Kevin's an Emmy Award-winning former TV journalist, my true crime co-author, and co-host of our other true crime podcast, Crime Writers On. He also hosts the podcast, These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast. Now, take a listen to our breakdown of this episode and reactions to the real-life mystery behind it. Kevin. Yes. Episode 6 of Unsolved Mysteries, Missing Witness. I can't believe this uh, this volume of Unsolved Mysteries is over. I know. They're also different, too, the stories, right? They are. But let's talk about this one. Okay. When she was just 13, Lena Chapin claims she was coerced by her mother, Sandy, to help dispose of her stepfather's body, mm-hmm. who she says her mother murdered. Right. Then just before she turned 21, 
Lena mysteriously vanished just before she was set to testify against her mother in court. So, Mm -hmm. this mother, Sandy, (laughs) seems like a piece of work, right? This mother, yeah. Look, I mean, all of the episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, they've been unique in their own special way, right? And so, this one doesn't seem like an unsolved mystery to me. It seems like an unresolved mystery. Hmm. And we've seen the power that this Netflix show actually has on affecting investigations in the real world. Right. And so we've seen it in the previous episodes, and hopefully we can see the ball rolling again on this case. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like this will come down to a person who was told coming forward, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely, like, there's Sandy who's living somewhere with her grandson who right. she took, uh, allegedly. Right. And, and who apparently she had always wanted to have. Isn't that weird? It really is. Yeah. Because she always wanted a boy. Mm-hmm. Well, After having a- six daughters. <laughs> Listen, that's yeah. that's not cool to be like that uh, gender normative that you feel like it's, your life isn't complete until you have a boy. But whatever, that yeah, aside, yeah, know, yeah. she did have a boy. She had a grandson. Yep. And everyone knows that having a grandkid is better than having a kid in so many ways. Right. But mom was apparently a big part of his life. So one of the clues here that she didn't just get up and run to Florida is that she wouldn't leave her son behind. Hmm. She loved her son. She loved him very much. She wanted to give him the best. Lena wouldn't have left without him. And as soon as I heard that my mom had called her, I knew something was wrong. I knew my mom had done something. Years have gone by. You would have to believe that by now, if she were gallivanting along the coast, that at some point she would give a ring, Mm. drop a postcard. Unfortunately, we believe she is gone. Mm. So we hear from two of Sandy's kids in this episode, Mm -hmm. Brandy and Robin. They both tell a kind of complicated story about Mm -hmm. their mother and their relationship with her. They both seem to agree that for a while when they were little, things were good until their mom, you know, decided to live or became more unstable or decided to live a more sort of unstable lifestyle, sort of hopping from relationship to relationship, moving Mm -hmm. the kids around a lot, using her sex appeal very often that she was attracted to her one daughter said, uh, men with brothers or, (laughs) you know, it, it, it was really painful in some ways to watch, I think, Brandy in particular talk about her mom almost in terms of like what could have been if things had just stayed good. Although, you know, when I heard the kids talk, it certainly was a childhood that was full of instability. However, they didn't talk about it in the sense that their upbringing was terribly harmful to them. They, they like to say that when they were with Gary, that they learned things about self-discipline and about how to fix things. So I don't get the sense that there's just an axe to grind No, when they talk about mom. No. I mean, I right? think that there's a lot more going on there. And I will say, and this isn't in the episode, but it made me wonder, mm-hmm. when they talk about all these relationships their mother had, and mm-hmm. they describe Albert, her second husband, and Gary, her third husband, who were brothers, uh, as both being good guys, you kind of wonder, like, maybe there weren't some good guys in the picture at some point. I mean, yeah. really, th- these women seem to have a lot that they're carrying with them from their childhood. Yeah. And Albert... Uh, Boy, he, he he didn't mince words when he said how his brother beat him up. Right. <laughs> you know, but you could tell it was a loving relationship with the two of them. It doesn't sound like he had such hard feelings that he doesn't want to see justice for his brother's disappearance. Hmm. 
to the idea that perhaps that they drove around dumping his ashes yes. all over the property. Wow, that is that does make it very difficult to come up with an ID. We actually wrote a book in which, uh, in the case in which a child around the age that Lena was at the time of Gary's death was coerced into being part of the murder plot. Mm-hmm. It was made to basically bury his own adoptive mother. Yeah. So that I just kept thinking about that. That sort of that kind of abuse where you, um, you know, your kid becomes a colluder rather than you, you you taking care of them. You put them in a situation where they have to be your partner. Right. In this case, your partner in crime or your partner in like, you know, dodging the men you used to be with so you could be with another mm-hmm. man. Like these kids were put in difficult situations a lot. And of course, perhaps throwing ashes out of a truck window the most difficult yeah. one of all. Well, this reminds me most of a book that I wrote called Wicked Intentions, yeah. which can be purchased everywhere that books are being <laughs> shredded in the back of stores. But that was about a woman who was a black widow. Mm. And there are some parallels here in the story with Sandy. You know, it uh, doesn't seem necessarily to be like a big financial motive, but just the idea, you know, that she wanted to get rid of her husband's yeah, and yeah. apparently what all the testimony is from these civil trials points to her using the violent means to make that happen. Right. I mean, one of the things that made me wonder is why did she have to kill this guy when she just left the others, you know? That's something I'm going to ask Bob Wise when I talk to him for sure because oh. it just made me curious. Like, she was just able to leave the other ones. Like, why kill him? What do you think? Uh, Well, sometimes relationships don't end amicably. Yeah. But I, I don't know. What do you think of the idea that Lena's sister, you know, goes looking for her and the story is just, oh, she ran off with a guy and, you know, the boyfriend apparently mm-hmm. never reported it. Yeah. The sisters don't report it. Do you think they were afraid of Sandy? Do you think they just didn't want to get involved with police? Do you think that they suspected something, but it maybe it was just easier to believe this more far-fetched story that she would just run away from her kid? And, and... I don't think any of them believed it for a minute. No? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, it sounded like the boyfriend thought about it at first, you know, just upon closer scrutiny. Yeah. Uh, Certainly, if you're in a position where you have probative evidence against uh, somebody that you believe killed more than one person, Mm. there's a, uh, you know, a stress point coming up being a trial, then obviously, you know, that person is a potential target. Yeah. For violence. Yeah. So we we hear from the officers, you know, they certainly weren't laboring for a long time under the impression that she left of her own accord. Right, right. So I want to talk about Albert and the choice that he made to tape Lena's confession about what happened. What do you think of that kind of gumption? We see his bearded lawyer friend, Richard, who Mm -hmm. is like maybe the most unexpected like lawyer I've ever seen on TV, who I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what did you think of his decision to go ahead and tape that? And what did you think of like hearing those tapes? Oh, well, the tapes were really powerful. Now, the idea that Lena would go to him and, you know, knowing what the consequences are and tell him this story, Mm. whether she knew she was being taped or not, showed some level of trust Mm. in him that Lena still felt like this was a man that she could talk to and that she needed to let him know to try to give him the beginning of some closure. Lena had held on to that secret for many, many years. This was the beginning of her trying to atone for that. Mm. And the fact that Albert, actually, he just kind of, he did really a great job of just sort of saying, what, saying, give me more without saying, give me more. Right. He just would ask like quick, small, simple questions and she would just, Keep going. She didn't. He didn't lead her on. Right. He didn't put words in her mouth. And it was. It's a very powerful piece of evidence. 
You know what's suspicious? Everything? Well, when the police show up to search Gary's house after yeah. he's been missing, and Sandy looks them in the eye and says, you find a body and then I'll take a polygraph. <laughs> that's not... <laughs> Perhaps that's not how I would have answered that question. That's not how Perry Mason would tell you to respond to a police inquiry. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. One of the things that I found myself wondering about is the mother Sandy's story that she tells the kids that they have to say when the police come. Tell mm-hmm. them that Gary went to go buy chickens and that we had spaghetti. What did you think of that, that detail? It's like one of those things from uh, from crime movies where the, the culprit makes a, a point of bumping into somebody at a certain time or mm. getting a receipt yep. for the for the gas that they never ever get. Oh, here's the time on my mm. on the gas that we I We heard about that recently. Yeah. I yeah, why those details why it was spaghetti I don't know. But it just seems like yeah, if you need to tell people, remind you like what was going on on a, on, on Thursday when Wednesday and Friday don't matter, well that's not a good sign. Hmm. So Sandy hasn't been charged with anything, but there was this civil case against her. So there is a public record that she has been accused of this crime. Yeah. Which I think makes it fair game to talk about her being the center of this crime. Sure. What do you think? No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. She has not been proven guilty in a criminal court, but we do have this civil case to talk about. So as long as uh, all the lawyers uh, around the table understand what we're talking about. Hmm. Well, we also have, you know, investigator in the series saying, you know, this is the case that keeps him up at night because he thinks he knows what happened. Mm -hmm. It just becomes a question of how to prove it, not whether that's what happened. Oh, I think I know what happened, too. They did a really great job this episode of laying out that hypothetical. Hmm. So, of course, when this uh, wrongful death lawsuit actually took place in Mm -hmm. 2013 Mm -hmm. against Sandy... Lena's tape was not admitted into evidence in that suit. Is right. that unfortunate? It is. I'm assuming that the judge ruled that, you know, the uh, the accused has the right to confront his accuser. Mm. And if she's not there, then he can't do that. Although in some cases, and probably in a criminal case, you know, they would give serious weight to this. But sometimes they allow the tape to, you know, be put into evidence as some sort of testimony. Right. With, with certain caveats, but... With them um, not knowing for sure that she's dead, they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, because it could just be that she's missing and she would refute that if she actually heard it Yeah, in court. Yeah. So, question for you. This episode, they actually do a little bit of investigating. They bring that ground-penetrating radar machine mm-hmm. out to the farm. They don't find anything, ultimately. But it is interesting to sort of see a live investigation in the making of one of these Unsolved Mysteries episodes, is it not? Right, yeah, because these mysteries that are unsolved, if no one's working on them, then uh, then what's the point of talking about them, right? Mm. So it's good that each of these episodes has, you know, added some fuel uh, to the tank for each of those investigations. So Chris and Sandy, Chris, the boyfriend at the time of Gary's murder, and yeah. Sandy, I think it's unclear, I don't think they're still together at this point, uh, declined to appear in the episode. But Sandy right. is certainly at the very center of this mystery. And again, this is more of a how-can-we-solve-it mystery than a what-is-the-solution mystery. What kind of tip could you imagine coming in to turn the screw here? Well, uh, you know, the most recent mystery has to do with Lena's disappearance, we seem to understand a little bit about what probably happened to Gary. Mm. And the person that knows the best probably is just Lena. Mm. And she's not around. Now, unless Lena told somebody else, I mean, she did tell Albert. Yep. It's very possible that 
if she wanted to get it off of her mind, she could have so told somebody else. But there also might be some folks that sort of are looking at it anew, the idea of what happened to Lena mm -hmm. that day. It's possible that more people were exposed or could have seen something. It might not have happened on their secluded property mm. where anything could happen and you could sprinkle ashes wherever you like. It might have happened someplace else where a, you know, a third person could have seen something or found some evidence after the fact. I think it's very likely that Chris and or Sandy each told other people what happened here, but with Lena. Yeah. And I think that probably the most likely tip they'll get is someone that knows one of the two of them that heard the story from one of the two of them. Well, look, I mean, it seems like uh, sometimes people's alliances change over time. That's right. And right now, it seems like Sandy and Chris are pretty tight. Yeah, even if they're not together, they are pretty tightly aligned. Yeah. And at some point, you know, maybe one is going to feel like there's no point in me covering for the other. You never know. Who yeah. knows? Well, I guess we'll find out if the tip comes in. Thanks so much for talking to me about this episode, Kevin. I've had such a great time, Rebecca. Thanks. Thanks again to Kevin Flynn, my very favorite person to watch Netflix with. Now, here's my conversation with Robert Wise. Bob Wise, it is such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm a huge Unsolved Mysteries fan from way, way back, and you have been involved since the very beginning as a cinematographer and now executive producer. Can you talk about the evolution of the show and your evolution with the show? <laughs> um, boy, it's like going prehistoric. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it started back in the 80s. We did, uh, actually, we did a show before Unsolved Mysteries called Missing Have You Seen This Person, which was stories of generally speaking, kids who had disappeared one way, mysteriously one way or the other. And we were using similar formats with interviews and recreations. And then John Cosgrove and Terry Muir came up with this sort of broader expanse of mystery, which is Unsolved Mysteries. And we did uh, a pilot with Raymond Burr. which Terry was, Mason was the original host of Unsolved yeah, Mysteries? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was, you know, a little intimidating when we did his host stuff. And he was, you know, <laughs> he's Raymond Burr. And he's, you know, a big guy in many levels. Um, but we went out and shot, I think it was four stories. And it, it was very much the, the same format that we did that ended up being the series. You know, sit down interviews, reenactments. But they were, of course, reenactments with, with actors. I'm smiling because they really weren't actors at the time. They were just kind of people. Sometimes it was the real people doing reenactments mm -hmm. of themselves. So acting was, you know, was in quotes. <laughs> but it was great. I mean, they were wonderful. In fact, the the cop, the police were the best actors of all because they just say, "Just do what you do," you know, or do what you did, and they just fall right back into their into their mode of of investigating. So we filmed all that, and we came back home and cut them together, and you know, it was shot in film and was edited in film. Um, the big deal at the time was how do you make sure that the audience knows what's real and what's recreation or reenactment. So we used. And you know, the cinematographers out there will appreciate we used fog filters to mm. make sure people knew that it was sort of dreamy and different so the audience didn't get confused. And then we did one of those, and then we did three with Carl Malden, and then NBC had the wisdom to turn it into a, a weekly series. So what does it mean for you to have the show return now and then return to really – uh, the most premiere of streaming services, Netflix. I mean, the show is being watched by millions of people. It's been trending on the very top of the Netflix charts. 
What does that mean to you to see that and, and to experience that right now? Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. We knew it would be popular because there's such a you know fan base from the old series and but I don't know that we expected it to be this popular and worldwide too. It's not, you know, I mean, the States, we kind of figured maybe sort of, but for it to be internationally popular is amazing. Just amazing. Well, you and I are here to talk about episode six, Missing Witness, but I do have to ask you one final question about the return of Unsolved Mysteries that I think I've talked about with so many people I know who are fans of the show in the last couple of months since the series, um, it sort of came out that this was coming. Do you have a favorite type of mystery for Unsolved mm. Mysteries? Wow. You know, it's the old, uh, who's your favorite child? Yeah. You know, um, I... I'll be honest, mine's UFOs. I can't, uh, yeah. I'll just be completely honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paranormal I mean, I, phenomenon, yeah. always really fun. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I do a lot of true crime, so at some point it's nice to do something else. And I, I kind of agree where, you know, ghost stories I find really interesting because there's, I, I've done ghost stories with kids who talk about ghosts that they've seen and like they would have no idea who this person is and it turns out mm. that they're real and you go, how the hell did that happen? Right. So those kinds of mysteries, I guess for me, I find particularly interesting. I found this episode really interesting because there was some, it seems, uh, investigation going on during the episode. It wasn't just, you know, two ways. We do see some scenes where it looks like your team is trying to advance the story a little bit. I I just want to ask a question, though, about Lena's disappearance in particular, Lena Chapin. Um, What more can you tell us? about the day that she went missing. I mean, we hear that, you know, somebody came to her apartment. She wasn't there. Her boyfriend said that she had run off. That was the story her mom was telling. But is there more about that day that you can tell us? That day, not so much, to be honest. Um, It was kind of that simple. You know, I think Jason, the boyfriend, came home and Sandy, uh, Lena's mom, was there and she was clearing things out and told Jason that Lena had run off to Florida with a guy and then Robin showed up, Robin's sister, Lena's sister showed up, and Jason passed that story on to Robin, and it was like, just that doesn't make any sense. But that's kind of all we know about that day. I mean, of course, surrounding all those days is where it gets interesting. So Lena's sisters, Robin and Brandy, are the two that you interviewed for this episode, and they appear on camera many times. It looks like a lot of time was spent with them because we see them in different scenes. Why weren't the other sisters in the documentary? Was it just because these two knew more or were closest to the story? The other three sisters, apparently, and we, of course, contacted them and they didn't want to participate. They are somewhat closer to Sandy. I mean, uh, in terms of just have maintained their relationship with their mom and didn't want to participate, basically. But whereas the older sisters who were closer in age to Lena, you know, it's almost like you sort of separate the the sisters in three and three. The other two sisters, the older sisters were closer to Lena. And I think I think they feel they have a better perspective on their mother and what happened to their sister. It was really interesting to me that Brandy and Robin both kind of describe having like two relationships with their mother. Mm. One, they remember their mother in some ways very fondly, that times were good for kind of a long time, and that she then changed. I found that very moving, and I found it made them really credible that they were even 
you know, through this lens of, of realizing what very likely happened here, were able to muster up those positive and warm feelings for their mother. How, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I agree 100%. They really loved their mother and she was a good mom. And I think Brandy says, you know, in her interview, she always took care of us and always said, you know, God bless you every night. And there was this kind of real all-American mother that they had. And, and I think she worked hard and she really tried to take care of her kids. And I think there was sort of a back and forth. And then there was times where they would not be getting along with their mom or they'd be separated out or one of them went off to foster care for a while, but then they'd come back together. So there was definitely this sort of mother-daughter connection between them that constantly comes back in their relationship. But now, of course, it's it's completely different. They have nothing to do with Sandy. But there is this kind of push-pull between the daughters and the mother. Mm. And, you know, and I do think in the way that we try to tell the story, of course, it's a it's a true crime mystery, but in a lot of ways, it's also a story of a mother and a daughter between Sandy and Lena, you know, because I think Lena had that same push-pull. There was, you know, Lena was Sandy's protector, so Sandy's confidant. If whenever Sandy needed help getting out of some bind or other, she would always use Lena as her as her person to either lie for her or make up a story or back or su- support her story, whatever it was. So there was that. And then, of course, and Lena took forever to finally tell anybody what happened because I think she wanted to protect her mom and she felt not I don't think she was afraid of her mom I think Lena just loved her mom and didn't want Mm. to get her into trouble but only as she got older and started declaring her own independence from her mom did things turn well it almost struck me as one of those you know coercive um is it the type of coercive abuse that parents and kids uh, sometimes experience where a parent treats one child almost like a partner, mm. more so than a child, you know, has them assume a lot of the responsibility and emotional weight that a partner would have. It's not the same as like sexual abuse or anything like that, but it's like it's you and I together. Uh, the same kind of dynamic like that, you know, an adult would kind of have an, have with another adult. And I got the sense that Lena was very much put in that position and that we hear in the episode, she's also responsible sometimes for like disciplining her siblings <laughs> and for covering for her mom, basically doing the things that a stable, you know, partner of the mom would do. But then we hear the mom is so unstable and there's so much going on in her life and, and switching partners so often and moving so often. So Lena became that kind of de facto, steady, stable, right-hand person that kind of not appropriate for a kid to be, right? Yeah, at 13 or 12. all I think all the older daughters, I think Brandy and Robin, also would be her confidant and, and backup. You know, I mm. think when it came to when she was having these uh, affairs on the side, the other two daughters would also have to, you know, say, no, no, mom is here, mom was there, and, and make up cover stories to her. cover yeah. for her. But I think when it really got down to it, Lena was that person. She was that, you know, the one... Sandy could really rely on. Hmm. What they they really describe is just a tremendous amount of instability. And that is also just profoundly sad. You know, it played out with their mom in terms of her sexual partners and in terms of her, you know, moving around. But it also just really reminded me over and over again that this was the example these kids had for what relationships should look like and how tough that could be to grow up that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Brandy talks about that, you know, how it hardened her to, you know, I'm never going to have a man do anything for me. And they're, I mean, they're both in 
I understand that both in stable relationships, they both have kids now and, you know, God love them. They've, they've really come through this pretty well in terms of just being stable human beings and nice people, you know, and it's remarkable that they were able to do that, I think. Um, but I agree, there's so many levels to, I don't know, is pathology too strong a term here? I, mean, I don't think it is. You know, it's so remarkable and over so many years. There was a lot of hard days. There was a lot more hard days than there was easy days. I think the hardest part of growing up for me is not knowing what's going to happen next, where we're going to be living. We moved around a lot. I remember when I was young, my mom would meet different people. I mean, she'd be with one man, and then she'd start a job or something, and she'd meet someone else, and then they'd sneak around, and she'd leave that one and hook up with this one. And, and then we'd all be loading up and moving in somewhere else with someone new. The way that when they describe it to us in the interviews and stuff, it, it it's kind of matter of fact. I mean, I guess that was, like you're saying, that was their life growing up. That's all they kind of knew. Um, and it wasn't, oh, yeah, then we, you know, she left Albert and went to Gary, so we moved here, and he was a good guy, and we had, four, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, just so matter of fact. It's, yeah. it's kind of remarkable. It really is. It seems like Lena was on a path, though, to that same kind of stability. She had this boyfriend, Jason. She had a young son. Uh, Lena and Jason, it's sort of indicated in the film that they were happy and they were planning on getting married. He wasn't in the documentary episode. Can you just talk a little bit about him? And, and you know, you don't have to talk about why he didn't participate. I'm guessing he just didn't want to. Yeah. But um, what was their relationship like? Did you also get the sense that it was a good relationship? We did, actually. Um a few people have said that they were actually engaged to be married and other people say maybe not so much, but whether they were or not, they were clearly together. Um, you know, they had Coulter, the son, the infant at the time, uh, but it definitely got the sense that Jason and Lena had plans for the future to settle down. Lena was declaring her independence one way or the other from Sandy, which you could argue was the problem ultimately mm. here. Um but yeah, there was definitely a sense that she was trying to get her life together. She was working. She had two jobs at one point. You know, it was, a, it was a struggle, but they were really trying to get their act together for sure. Do you know if Jason at all was involved in the investigation in terms of helping, trying to figure out where she went? Uh, I mean, I know that he was questioned and I don't, mm. you know, he, he was certainly helpful. I don't know that he had a lot to offer other than, you know, backstory and what Sandy had told him. Right, right. I mean, it also, I think, again, speaks to kind of the instability of all the people in this story that he would believe the story that Sandy told him. Oh, by the way, uh, your live-in girlfriend, my daughter, ran away with somebody else, that he would find that credible, I think speaks to probably, you know, his interactions with that family and kind of some of the dynamics he'd grown used to, right? I I don't know that he believed it. And this is kind of where it gets curious um Mm. why i don't know that he believed it because i you know she said he ran off with this guy she was seeing and nobody knew about this guy nobody believed he really existed why they didn't pursue it in any you know definite way why he didn't go to the cops or why it just kind of sat there for a while i'm still not clear about and that might Mm. be a fear of sandy or maybe there was a sense of Maybe you're right. Maybe there was a certain amount of instability that maybe she, if she didn't run off to Florida, but maybe she's, you know, I don't know, on a bender. I mean, who knows what they were thinking, but 
they didn't jump on it. And I've never quite understood why that was hmm. until much later. I am guessing it probably had more to do with Sandy and the dynamics there. And I mean, one of the things that I found so curious was that both sisters seemed pretty comfortable asserting on camera that Sandy kind of had this long game, which was mm. basically to keep her daughter's baby for herself. What a curious and and strange uh, motivation there, right? Oh, it's nuts. <laughs> okay, it's, I, it's true. I, yeah, I mean, it you're just a lot is. More, you're a lot more I, honest than I am in your description. Of that. <laughs> I mean, I don't. Un- I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, mm. she. I get that she would always want a son, but she had a grandson. I mean, yeah, that's pretty good. It's better uh, in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep hearing, you know. Um, she was trying to run it through legal channels to try to get custody from Lena. You know, that was another thing that she was trying to do. And why she didn't let that play out, again, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to ask her. Um, you know, I don't know. It, you know, I guess I'm just not that smart. I don't understand a lot of the, the motivations here. I mean, I agree that probably was the motivation, but but I don't get how that could lead to if it does lead to murder, how it could lead to murder. So big question I have. Gary wasn't the first marriage that Sandy walked out on. Certainly far from the first relationship she walked out on. Right. What do you think it was about that relationship with Gary that made Sandy think that killing him was a better solution than just leaving again? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's two things. One was that Gary owned property. He owned that farm. And I don't know if the other ones did. I don't know. Um, but somebody suggested that it was she wanted to own the farm and maybe sell it. The other thing, which is sort of more interesting and more intriguing, uh, again, we'll have to ask Sandy, was that the other gentleman that she was involved with, she left them. She got involved with somebody else and she left. Gary was the first one, as I understand it, or I've been told, Gary was the first one to say, I'm divorcing you. Hmm. that he's the one who sort of said, I know what you're doing and I'm going to divorce you. And that somehow triggered this. Hmm. Uh, Do we know if Chris has any other, you know, any other activities in his history, maybe a criminal past? Maybe he had some influence on the outcome here? I don't think so. I think Chris, he was married. He comes from a good family uh, from the area. So I don't think that he would be the instigator here. Lena went missing in February 2006. She was served a summons in the civil lawsuit a few months later in June, but couldn't be found. It seems like that was the moment where Lena's sisters acknowledged that she was truly missing. There's a lot of time lost there. What was going on with the family that they didn't file a report to the police in that time? You know, why didn't the search begin until this failure to appear for the summons? Yeah, again, it is one of the mysteries here. I think the family had all sort of separated. I know that Brandy wasn't in the area, and Robin, I think, was separated from everybody. And I, and I, I wish I understood. I really wish I understood. Mm. Um, you know, it was Richard, the attorney, who's the one who even brought up the idea of doing a civil lawsuit. I love that guy, by the way. Uh, Love him. Love his long beard. I think that uh, attorney was not something I expected in the lower third when he first came on screen and started telling his story. (laughs) What a great character he is in the story and a really great advocate for the truth here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, he's great. I mean, he's just 
he worked so hard for the family. He was, he was good friends with Gary, too. So uh, a lot of it was he just, this was his friend and sort of disappeared, and he was not going to let it go. And obviously, being an attorney, he had the ability to do what he could do. Brandy, in her inter- interview, says that she was afraid that what happened to Lena would happen to her. Hmm. She always sort of took that step back away from her mom. And I think maybe when Richard brought the the case, uh, the civil case up and things were swirling in that direction, maybe I think she found she felt strong enough to say, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to step up and and tell people what I know. And she did that in the trial. According to everybody who was there in the civil case, she got on that stand and really told it like it was. And and that was the probably the most important part of the civil case, convincing the jury that Sandy and Chris were liable. Can you talk a little bit more about Albert's decision to tape this uh, confession from Lena? Did she know she was being taped? Like, how did that come about? Because in the in the show, we just see he just says, I had a recorder and we see him hit record. But that was that a conversation they'd had beforehand? I was wondering if you could just fill me in on that. Yeah, um, Albert knew that Lena was coming to say something important. He, he kind of got wind because Lena had told somebody uh, like a friend of hers and the friend encouraged her to come to tell Albert. And Albert got wind of it. And Richard, I think, encouraged Albert to tape it. In fact, it might even be, it may even be Richard's tape recorder. Um, so Richard and Albert were in cahoots to get this recorded. And that's why as soon as, it, as, soon as Lena had left, Albert called Richard, they listened to the tape, and they immediately called the cops. Hmm. So she did or didn't know she was being recorded? She did not. I'm sorry. No, no, she did not know she was being recorded. Okay, okay. So this is obviously, uh, that's really interesting. Because I just am curious about the conversation that they had that led to that. You know what I mean? Like, um, it seems like when you hear the tape, she did seem pretty forthcoming and pretty... I don't want to put myself in her mind because you can't know, but it almost seemed like she was unburdening herself. There is definitely that sense uh, of of unburdening herself. And again, she had told other people before and afterwards as well. Um, so I think that she was in this point in her life where she just needed to get it off her chest. She was, you know, I think we tried to describe in, in, the, in the film, after all this happened, it started to get to her and she started doing a little bit more drugs and was sort of getting into trouble more because mm. she was, generally speaking, a, a pretty good kid as kids go. Um, and I think she did have to finally unburden herself. And that's why when her friend said, listen, you, who you really need to tell is the family. Don't be telling your friends and all the rest of it. You need to be telling, you know, some of Gary's family. And then she decided to talk to with Albert. So Gary, at some point, was also presumably a missing person, right? Was there an investigation into his disappearance even before Lena's confession? Oh, yeah. That one they pursued right away. I mean, right away. They, Gary disappeared on the 11th, and it was three days later when the his boss at work said, you know, where's Gary? And everybody started wondering. They called the cops. The cops came out. And that's all sort of portrayed in the thing in the show. They did a pretty thorough investigation. Uh, Sandy wouldn't let them on the property, so they had to get a search warrant, but they did do a thorough search of the place. They actually pulled up a floorboard uh, that they thought maybe had blood on it, um, which they ended up, I think they ended up losing it before it got tested or something. But they they did uh, they did a thorough investigation, did a lot of searching, um, and, and came up with nothing. Hmm. I found myself wondering if Sandy's telling the kids, you know, Gary went to go buy chickens and we're eating spaghetti tonight. And that's all you're supposed to say. If the spaghetti almost felt like a strange 
clue of some kind? Like, did she spill sauce on the floor? Was she trying to sort of hide, you know, potential blood stains? I, I know that that's a stretch, but that's I couldn't help but think it. No, I know. And it was so specific, right? She said your head, you know, she didn't say you had dinner. We had spaghetti. Maybe it's just though they're all on the same page. But I know it was a little strange. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, these kids were little, so I don't know if she was just thinking spaghetti is easy for them to remember. Uh, but it's, you know, it it fits the pattern that Sandy had with the kids, which is this is the lie that we're telling now about this. I'm wondering, Bob, there are always stories, scenes, characters that need to get cut to make a final <laughs> uh, version of any project, much less a, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which has to be tight by definition in order to get us like really in and the basics and the facts. Is there anything that didn't make the final cut in this episode that you really want people to know about or you think that someone like me would have loved to have seen? I think there's a whole investigative element to the truck, to Gary's truck that was found um, that we, you know, again, just didn't have the time to focus on. And there's two parts to it. One, when, uh, when Brandy comes home after school that day and she goes up to milk the cows and she sees her mom scrubbing the floors, she goes up to to find the cows and Gary's truck is parked off to the side hmm. and she immediately thinks oh Gary's in the woods watching Sandy because this Chris Klemp character is now hanging around the house so she runs down to say to Sandy look Gary's truck is up in the woods I bet Gary's watching so you better be careful and Sandy says hmm. don't worry about it just go about your business and then a few days later the, the truck is found on a country road somewhere Obviously, in the, in the wrong direction. Remember, he was supposed to be going to get fighting roosters in uh, the town of Diamond. The truck is found in, a, in the opposite direction on a dirt road by a farmer somewhere. And the seat is pulled way up. And in the confession that Lena tells Albert, she says that she actually drove the truck out there. That after, the, after Brandy found the truck, on the farm, they drove it to this other place, and it was actually Lena who drove it. She's 13 years old. That's why the seat was pulled all the way up, is mm. so she could reach the foot pedals. And I just thought it's just another indication of, of Lena's in, involvement in the case. Can you talk a little bit about the ground-penetrating radar scene in the episode? I mean, I think it was interesting that both Robin and Brandy, you know, had theories about Lena being buried somewhere, especially after we hear the details of the alleged murder of Gary, that he was burned and his body was spread a lot of different places. It seemed to me like, oh, if I were to do this again, I might use that same MO. But I was curious to see that ground penetrating radar scene in the in the episode because it did seem like an attempt to try to advance the story a little bit and, and it was ultimately disappointing. Right. Yeah. Both sisters had their theories about where Lena was buried. I mean, and we sort of see the scene where Brandy's like looking for what used to be the well. And she was convinced that her sister was in the well and was covered over by cement. We talked with some engineers about, you know, how can GPR, can ground penetrating radar ever find anything? And their feeling was, there's no way. I mean, it was, you know, 30 feet of concrete or whatever it was. We'd have to literally dig up the whole thing, and we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared to do it. I don't think anybody else was, and the homeowner who now owns that property was not prepared to let us get in there and start digging. So that really wasn't an option. Robin had her theory, as she explains, where the mother talked about doing um, uh, burying the dog in two different locations, and Robin was very specific where Sandy referred to it on on the farm property in Salem, which is where they, they moved to. A couple months after Lena disappeared, 
Sandy had moved to this property. She was showing me this property. We were walking up from the pond to the house, and she had pointed out the four trees in front of the house, saying that she had buried her dog, Toby, there, which was weird because she had told me that she had buried the dog at the old house on top of the hill under a tree before they moved. I automatically thought that, I mean, there was something not right about it. It didn't make sense. My first thought was, why is she changing her story now? Like, could Lena be there? So it was arranged to have this GPR guy come out, and he, he, the idea was the GPR would find some area where the, uh, the dirt had been either dug up or the consistency uh, of the dirt would be different than if it was just, you know, land that had been left fallow for all those times. So we were looking for some area where there's an indication that it had been dug up. And, you know, and that can last for decades, that, that indication. So we went back and forth. He did find a section there where he went, you know, this is sort of interesting. It's kind of where Robin said Sandy referred to where, you know, where they buried the dog. So we did do a little digging there. Um, but it was ended up being just a, a tree root. Hmm. So it, it, that's, as, that's as close as we got to finding Lena. Hmm. Uh, and I would agree. I would think that if, if you believe Sandy killed and disposed of Gary, you would think she would do it again if she did the same to Lena. This is an interesting kind of mystery for Unsolved Mysteries. It's almost like an open mystery. It feels very much like we know what likely happened in terms of the order of events, the people involved, but we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know where. We also don't know why uh, it still remains a mystery. So I'm curious about what kinds of tips you're hoping this episode might elicit and if you, and if you're hopeful that there could be some closure to this case based on tips. Yeah, this is a unique story in that as compared to like the Ray Rivera story or the Alonzo story where there's probably a lot of people who have some clues, some indications, some leads that the police can follow to solve those cases. This one is much more narrow in that there's probably only a, a few people who know what happened with Lena. I'm always hopeful, but I'm maybe less hopeful than some of the other stories that we did this, the first six that will lead to a conclusion. Well, I have seen some reporting recently, Bob, that this series of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix is bringing up some tips that people are calling in. So I hope this is one of the mysteries that gets some resolution. Thank you so much for talking to me about this episode. I really just love the series as a whole, and I'm really, really glad it's back. Thanks so much, Bob. Oh, thank you. It's been great. We've reached the end of this week's episode. Many thanks to our guest, Robert Wise. Fans of Unsolved Mysteries might remember these words from the late and irreplaceable former host of the show, Robert Stack. For every mystery, someone somewhere knows the truth. Perhaps that person is someone listening. Perhaps it's you. If you or someone you know has any information about the disappearance of Lena Chapin, go to unsolved.com to share your story or to learn more about the hundreds of other mysteries covered by the series. And for more of my takes on true crime and how we cover it in the media, check out my other podcast, Crime Writers On. If you like You Can't Make This Up, please subscribe to, rate, and review this show and share it with friends. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Netflix. Our music is by Hansdale Sue. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>